it's inevitable that you will try something and you know it may or may not be the right thing but having the courage to admit when you're on a path that's not the right one and to go out and change it i think that ultimately is what's the most powerful thing and welcome back to Off Record with your host, Corey Levy. Today, we speak to entrepreneur and author, Catherine Minshew, who is well known for being the founder and CEO of The Muse, the fastest growing career discovery platform for 50 million plus professionals a year and helps over 700 companies looking to hire talent and grow their employer brand. Catherine is also the co-author of The New Rules of Work, the modern playbook for navigating your career, available on Amazon and other retailers. In this week's episode, she tells us about how she went from working in a foreign embassy to McKinsey and then to technology. She gives tips and guidance on finding the right path in your career, how to approach employers the right way, and what ineffective actions you're making in your career. There's that and many more. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Off Record. Thank you, Catherine, for joining on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So I'd like to start by asking you, you graduated from Duke University and then you worked at McKinsey after college. How did you get involved in technology? You know, it's funny because I never thought I would end up in the career that I have now, but I totally love it. So when I was younger, technology was really far from my mind. I went to a public school that had a science and technology focus, but I was, you know, all focused. I was like all history, all English all the time. So I kept thinking like science and technology, that was a thing that the school talked a lot about, but it wasn't my personal passion. And it's funny because I actually uh, was required to take computer science and coding classes. They taught us in C++, which now is a language, obviously, that's, that's not as useful anymore. Most people don't use it. But I really, I enjoyed it. But I was, I had such a bias against going into science and technology careers in my mind, even though I took a couple years of comp sci and really enjoyed it. I just dismissed that as a possible career path. And I ended up deciding I was going to major in international relations, you know, got fascinated by foreign service, international aid and development, and kind of set my sights on that as a career. And it was luckily after studying it in college, having several internships, I finally landed an internship at the U.S. Embassy in Nicosia, Cyprus, which is in the middle of the Mediterranean, working in the regional security office. And it was totally fascinating, but it made me realize that the idea I had in my head of what a career in foreign service was like didn't really match the reality. And so when I came back to the U.S., I started investigating you know, alternative careers, alternative jobs. I took the role at McKinsey because they were great at recruiting me and I knew that I would learn a lot there. But as I started to get to know people who worked in the startup sector who were building businesses from scratch, I just, I just fell in love. And so I started my first company in 2010, which was an online community for professional women. And that led me to a lot of the ideas that uh, then led to me starting The Muse, which is the company that I run today. And how big is The Muse today? Yeah, so we serve about 50 million people every year. So that's, you know, five plus million people a month that come to themuse.com. They are from, you know, every age range, every gender, every background, primarily U.S. focused. But we also have people from, I think, over 100 countries that will visit in a given month and slightly more women than men. Although, you know, again, several million of both. And then from a business model perspective, we don't disclose revenues, but we have about 700 employers that are customers. It's a hiring and employer branding product that we offer to help companies really articulate. Like, what is it like to work there? What's special? What's unique about them? and help them find employees that are going to be the right fit. So we work with Facebook, Slack, Goldman Sachs, Johnson & Johnson, Capital One, you know, a ton of great businesses. 
And then we've got about 120, 125 full-time employees, uh, mostly based here in New York City. And what surprised you most about starting the Muse? Uh, That's a great question. You know, it's just, you got to constantly learn if you want to build a company from scratch, because the minute you think you've mastered a challenge or you figure out how to do something, the company changes and you've got to get onto the next challenge, the next thing you have to learn. So I have absolutely loved it. But I think it surprised me how much I've had to learn about topics that I didn't know anything about. I've gone deep into sales, pipeline development, lead generation, like all of that, you know, and on the kind of total other end of the business. I've raised capital now, um, almost $28 million for the company. So I know a ton about term sheets and all sorts of you know, venture capital negotiation uh, techniques that, that I never thought I would need to know. But I love novelty. I love learning new things. So I'd say it's, it's totally been fascinating. And what about, what, is there anything that surprised you about like the user base? You know, like the book you wrote about the new rules for finding the right path, for, for laying the perfect job, for, for growing and advancing your career. I, I know like a lot of young people are listening to this. So I'd like to talk a little bit about like what do the new rules kind of mean to you? And, you know, for someone listening, they probably don't know the old rules. But yeah, I'd like to chat a little bit about that. Yeah, the book is called The New Rules of Work. And I'm so proud of it because my co-founder and business partner and I, decided to really take the lessons learned from years of running the Muse and giving career advice to these millions of people across the country and distill it into the core new rules of work. And I would say one of the things that was the most surprising for me is the part of the book that people resonated with the most was this idea of starting with your values. So most career advice, you know, it has you start with what do you think you want to do or, you know, what are you good at? And we said, of course, that's important. But before that, what do you value? Is it flexibility? Is it creativity and autonomy? Is it compensation or prestige? There's so many different things that a career can give you. What is it that you want? And that changes, right? Not only from person to person, but it changes at different parts of your career. What you want straight out of college might be different than what we, what you want five or 10 years later, and that's okay. And so that's why I think a career is so personal. It's not something that your parents or your friends can choose for you. Once you then start with your values, we laid out a process called the Muse Grid, where we actually help people assess different potential career options against their values through all sorts of different research, informational interviews, and really help you get to a better understanding of what your life might be like in these different career paths. Once then, obviously summarizing the entire book, so if people are interested, you know, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any major bookseller. You know, the entire first section of the book, the first third, is about how do you find your path? You know, how do you understand what you want to do? Then we go into the middle part, the second part of the book, which is, all right, great. You know what you want. How do you get there? So we talk through, you know, the new rules for job search, for putting together a cover letter and a resume, for interviewing. I guess a couple of years ago, it was, you know, much less common to have just sort of a barrage of different interview types, phone interviews, video interviews, group interviews, presentation rounds. So we wanted to talk through the different types of interviews and how to be prepared for each one. And then, of course, as you get toward the end of the book, we also cover negotiating your offer. When and how can you negotiate for salary? What else can you negotiate for that's not salary? And then once you get that role, how do you really show up in a great way when you're new to a job, new to a company, and kind of translate that into being seen as someone that is really deserving of more responsibility, more opportunity, and eventually promotion over time. Gotcha, gotcha. I'd like to chat a little bit about the first thing you mentioned about finding the right path. What do you think are some ways one can figure out what he or she values or what he or she is good at to find that right path? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, this is hard. 
So I would say there's three tips that can be really helpful when you're thinking about finding the right path. First, pay attention to what you don't like. So, you know, it can be very demoralizing sometimes to take a job or an internship or even just a class in college and realize that something about that role or position or subject matter doesn't interest you. But that's a really powerful and important signal. So for example, when I was working in diplomacy, it was infuriating to me how slowly everything moved, how many sign-offs you needed to get. That was a great signal, though, that I love careers that are very action-oriented, where I could really see the impact of my work and kind of careers that would move at a very fast pace. So I think the more you can really pay attention to things that frustrate you or things that you don't like, that can help you start to uncover what is it that you're looking for in a new role? What are some of the career paths that you might not have considered? Secondly, in order to really understand what's out there, you've got to learn about different career paths. So I think it's really important. And again, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to take jobs in all these fields. But I think it's really important to do a little bit of research that can be Googling different career paths in different companies. I can be using a site like The Muse to see inside different companies. We also, for people who don't know The Muse, we have thousands of videos interviewing people from all different career paths at all different companies that can be a really interesting way of understanding more about what that specific career is like. I also am a huge fan of informational interviews, which is where you reach out to someone, you set up time, and you actually like learn more about what their career has been like. By the way, just a quick tip on informational interviews. If you are going to spend time with someone and learn more about their career field, it's helpful to ask questions about, you know, what sort of person would not be happy in this role or in this career? Or what is your least favorite thing? Because that more than the stuff that's good and exciting can help you decide if that's a career that you could actually be willing to do. Because again, every career has good and bad. It's just a question of what's the right fit for you. And then third, I would say you have to allow yourself to change your mind. It can be very tempting to fall into a trap of thinking you have to know what you want to do at 18 or 19 or 20. And that's the thing for the rest of your life. But the reality is the world doesn't necessarily work that way anymore for most people. And it's much more important to focus on the skills that you're acquiring, the things that you're learning how to do, and whether that will set you up for the type of work you want to do in the future. Because it's inevitable that you will try something and you know it may or may not be the right thing. But having the courage to admit when you're on a path that's not the right one and to go out and change it, I think that ultimately is what's the most powerful thing. Or what do you wish you had started doing or done more of like much earlier in your career, you know, specifically actions or activities with compounding effects? Oh, that's a great question. I think that I had blinders on to some extent because I spent so long thinking that I was going to go into the foreign service or international diplomacy or aid. And so I didn't really explore as many careers outside of the ones that were on my radar. I wish I had allowed myself to do more informational interviews with people outside of the area that I was most interested in. I wish I had found a way to shadow people at their offices. It was much more difficult when I was going through the early phases of my career and my, my studies, particular, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. It was much, much more difficult to get some of this information online. Job postings were still filled with jargon and, you know, and every career site was just stock photos if there was a photo at all. I would have loved to have had access to some of the rich resources that are available. But I think ultimately, the more you can talk to people, either it's, you know, face to face or watch video, read content about different career paths, the more you'll be exposed to all that's out there. And the more also that if you do decide to move in a certain direction, you'll have access to the the words, the vernacular, the kind of day-to-day -day lingo 
of that career field, which is also really helpful in getting hired within it. I think, you know, what you just said about shadowing people at their offices is such a great idea. Like, what would be your advice for somebody listening right now to to take action on that? And you know, what would you say to them if they were trying to shadow someone at an office? How would they go about doing that? I would say, firstly, that it's a good thing to ask. It's okay if someone says no or they don't respond to you. That's part of it. That's okay. I would identify two to three people that perhaps are in a position where you'd be interested in learning more. And then I would craft a personalized email to each one. And we have some really good templates on themuse.com. But at a high level, it would be something like, you know, dear so-and-so, I wanted to write you today because, you know, I know that you're an XYZ manager at Acme Corporation. And, and I'm very interested in starting my career in, let's say, marketing. I was hoping that there might be an opportunity to shadow you at work for an hour or two or learn more about what careers in marketing are like at your company. And then having a sentence or two about yourself, you know, I'm a student at XYZ or I have this background. This is why I care. The more you can show somebody that you're willing to put in the time and the effort, um, you know, most people do want to help. But in many cases, they have been burned in the past because they've helped people who have not necessarily valued the time that they've given or they're simply very, very busy. So if you can really show them why specifically you're asking them and why it is that you will really benefit from this opportunity. Again, some people are never going to say yes, that's okay. That's why I recommend asking more than one person. But ultimately, you often will find that people are really willing to go out on a limb and then help you out. Have you let people shadow you? I have. What made you say yes? <laughs> For me, it was someone that had built a relationship with me over some time. So it wasn't just the first ask. Although I think earlier in my career, I could have been open to someone who had made it their first ask. In this case, it was an individual who had reached out to me for advice on several occasions. She had been incredibly thoughtful about the questions she asked. She was always respectful of my time. And she always made me feel like she was immediately able to learn and grow and implement some of the things that I had suggested in the past. And so after we established that relationship, when she asked to come in and shadow me in the office, it felt like it felt like an okay next step to say yes to. And how often are you personally giving career advice to people? I know obviously the Muse helps millions of people, but how often are you, you know, one-on-one -on -one helping people? Funny you ask that. I didn't start the Muse because I have all the answers. I started it because I needed them. <laughs> so to some extent, I never wanted to be the person sitting behind the desk and giving people advice. In fact, unless somebody is interested in entrepreneurship, which is a topic that I know a lot about, I often suggest that they speak to one of our career coaches or they read content on the Muse because we deliberately source from some of the best experts in the world on all of these different topics. I will say I do end up giving a fair amount of career advice regardless, but it's often in the context of, you know, I mentor a number of up and coming entrepreneurs. I particularly try and dedicate my time to entrepreneurs from diverse backgrounds if I can. And so it's just helping open doors for all sorts of different types of people, because I really believe that the technology space is going to benefit from more diversity and, and more inclusion. And then obviously within the company, I will always make time if somebody, you know, who works at the Muse wants to chat. But again, you know, I think that also somewhat difficult because your career is so personal and I never feel like I can tell somebody what they must or should do. Just like it's hard for someone else to tell me what we should do. The best you can do is help give people a sense of what's possible and what are some of the 
strategies or tactics they might take to help them achieve their goals. Why do you think career coaching may still be taboo? Like obviously LeBron James has a coach and Roger Federer has a coach. So why shouldn't everyone else have a coach? But do you think career coaching is still a little bit taboo or people are afraid to talk about that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's still a lot of things that hold people back from fully leveraging career coaching. And, you know, I think it's too bad. So firstly, I'll say there are a lot of mediocre career coaches out there, just as there are a lot of phenomenal career coaches. And I think one of the challenges has been that as a consumer, coaching of any sort is a non-trivial investment. And you want to ensure that somebody's great before you give them your money. That's one of the reasons that we implemented star ratings on the news.com. So, you know, as you may know, we have a coaching platform. We actually accept less than, I think it's like less than 8% of all of the coaches who've applied because it's important to us to keep the quality high. And we'll actually remove people from the platform if they receive more than one or two low ratings that aren't, you know, it's, it's one thing if somebody's like, I paid for one session, they wouldn't give me three sessions for free. But we dig in to any situation. And if we find out that the coach is not delivering on a really high quality experience, then we'll usually move them off the platform. Because I think, again, you know, career coaching, like any coaching, it's got to be something that really helps you up your game. On the flip side, I do think that a lot of people have a mindset shift that would really benefit them. Where just as you said, every successful athlete has a coach, you know, just because you're, the, you know, you're Steph Curry doesn't mean a coach can't help make you better. And I believe the same is true for your career. You might be, you know, a phenomenal manager, but you're not as strong at negotiating for yourself or negotiating a salary. That's a great opportunity for a coach. Or perhaps you're not entirely sure what it is you want to go to next, or you're sending out your resume and, you know, you're not getting a lot of bites. Those are all opportunities where sometimes just having an outside perspective of someone who's really good at this and is trained to do it can be incredibly helpful. What's a life hack that you use that very few people know about? Oh, that's a great question. So one life hack that I love is a tool called Boomerang. I mean, you essentially install it in Gmail and you can send emails out of your inbox and then send them back to yourself at any time in the future. So let's say I got an email today. I don't have time to deal with it right now, but I don't just want to let it sit in my inbox bothering me. I might say, boomerang this to 7 p.m. tomorrow. That's a great time to deal with it. Or send this back to me tomorrow morning. I love boomerang because it gives me a feeling of control over my inbox without having to archive things. I also really enjoy a tool called Pocket. Uh, Pocket's an app that you can put on your phone. It's also so a plugin you could put into a browser plugin that you can add to any browser. And, um, you know, I'm a big reader. I love articles. So much trouble not clicking on a headline that is, you know, about something I'm interested in, be it international politics, you know, technology news. And so Pocket actually lets you save all of those articles to your phone so you can read them later when you're on the subway or you just have downtime. And it's great because it means that instead of having, you know, a whole series of tabs of things that I want to read, I've got a very orderly list for later on. What are some ineffective things that you see young people doing, kind of messing up with their careers? Yeah. When I think about ineffective things that sometimes young people do, I'll break it down into the, the basics and the, <laughs> the higher order. The basics are the basics for a reason. Have a strong handshake, look people in the eye, research a company before you show up for an interview. I would say that as much as some of that advice is like career 101, I'm constantly amazed by how many people uh, will sometimes put at risk getting a job that they're otherwise highly qualified for because of something small like that. So I would absolutely say, you know, even if it's just 15 minutes, brush up on the basics of applying to a job 
and interviewing because, you know, I don't want to go over those here, but they're, they're really important. When you talk about some of the more interesting stuff, you know, I mentioned it at a high level researching a company, but I think that that really is a skill. How can you learn enough about a company that you can successfully articulate to them why you're going to be a great hire, why you fit in with their organizational values, why you can help them solve their core business problems? Obviously, you don't want to go so far and leave somebody feeling like you stopped them. So unless you're applying for a job that's in research, think about how you can use that information that you may have learned about the company to inform your cover letter and your interviewing. One mistake is when a cover letter isn't personalized when it sounds like you sent the exact same thing to every company. Unfortunately, even though about half of hiring managers don't look at cover letters anymore, the other half still does. And many of those people really value whether you took the time to personalize your cover letter to their specific company or to their specific role. I think, you know, there's the classic interview question, you know, tell me about a mistake that you've made or what's your biggest weakness. This is a really hard one to answer. Because if you try and pretend that you're perfect, like you've never made a mistake, you don't have a weakness, you know, you're like, oh, I just worked too hard. That can be read by interviewers as a lack of self-awareness. You know, you're not really able to be fully honest and open about the areas where you're improving. So instead, I think it's really important to think ahead of time how you would answer a question like that and ideally choose something, whether it's public speaking, time management, you know, writing in a certain way that you can really demonstrate, you know, here's an area where I've struggled in the past or where I made a mistake. Here's what I did to fix it. And here's how I'm making sure that I don't do that again. Those are kind of some pretty important lessons. What are your biggest challenges today? There are a number of challenges on my radar today. I would say one is that as the muse grows and scales as a company, how do we keep our culture intact? How do we continue to live true to our mission and our values while also evolving to meet the the market, the landscape to deal with competitors? So I'm constantly thinking about that. I'm actively hiring right now for two senior roles on my team, as well as a number of other important roles across the company. So I'm constantly interviewing, meeting great people. Um, that's always a challenge because, you know, ultimately you want any hire to be the right fit for the company and the right fit for the individual. And that means balancing honesty and authenticity with also, you know, recruiting them and trying to get them excited about the role. And I think that certainly can be a challenge. And then finally, work-life balance or work-life fit is always a challenge because, you know, when you love what you do, especially when it's as all-consuming as starting a company can be, it can be very hard to step away from that and find time for your most important relationships, you know, find time for other things in your life. You know, I have an amazing husband and uh, we've been talking about getting a dog, but there's, there's questions, you know, how much time will that require and, and do we have it? And so I think just making sure that you make time for yourself and for your core priorities in addition to your work is so important. And that's, that's something that I struggle with as an ongoing challenge. Gotcha. And I have two more questions. One, any favorite books or podcasts that you'd recommend young people listen to? Yeah, a couple favorite books. So I love The Hard Thing About Hard Things, which is Ben Horowitz. It's a book about startups, but it's really fantastic. There's also a fantastic book that I love by a woman named Nilifer Merchant called The Power of Onlyness. And it's just, it's really incredible. Her thesis is all about how each of us has our, our onlyness, the position that we alone have based on our background, our life so far, and what we can really bring to the world from that position. So I found that a really tremendously good read. And then as far as fiction goes, you didn't necessarily ask, but I'm reading a book called The Power right now by Naomi Alderman, and it's ridiculously good. So I'm just, I actually am a few 
pages away from the finish. And I just can't wait to have other people read it and, and uh, talk about it with them. So that's been really exciting. Awesome. And is there anyone that you'd like to thank that has helped you in your career? I mean, so many people. I would say that I never could have gotten through those early difficult years without so many people that helped us along. You know, one of our first advisors is a woman named Rachel Sklar, who's fantastic. My husband, Jeremy, put up with a lot in the early days. My business partner, Alex, is truly phenomenal. And, you know, she and I are almost two halves of the same hole in many ways. So, you know, I would say the list is so much longer than that. But given that I know we have to wrap and, and I can see my EA lurking outside the window telling me I've got to go to my next meeting, I'll leave it with those three. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you once again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Catherine Minshew. Thank you so much again, Catherine, for coming on the show. Being she is the founder of one of the largest career platforms, she gave us insanely great advice on how to develop our careers and steps we can take to cut time to find out what we really want in our lives. She talks about this in much more detail in her book available on Amazon and elsewhere called The New Rules of Work, The Modern Playbook for Navigating Your Career. You can find all of the links in the description. You can also follow your host, Corey Levy, on Twitter at Corey. Thank you once again for listening. We have episodes coming out every Tuesday. Other than that, stay tuned, and we'll see you again next week on Off Record.